chilly. It's arrived. It's freezing cold. It, it, I, I, I've been a little down in the dumps lately. I think a lot of people have. And it, I'm such a genius this morning when it was so cold outside. I was like, oh, everyone's a little sad and not doing things because it's cold outside. Hmm. Hmm. We had those little stretches here where it was all right. I was like, eh. Yeah. Get some 13 degrees. Close to double digits. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Now we're, we're, we've arrived. It's just dark and it's cold. It's Canada again. (laughs) We're through the looking glass. It's, it's it's done. It's dark at 4.30 and it's freezing. Yeah. There's no more cool, cute fall times where you go, hmm, maybe today vest, maybe just a sweatshirt. It's just, no, break out that heavier jacket. Yeah. Start looking at the the goose in the closet. (laughs) It's almost time. I... I'm going to the Argos game on Saturday, the East final, to support my team. The, the team, Yeah, the team that brings me joy out of all the teams. They're the, the fun one. Even though, again, they were, they were too good. They were so good that it ruined the CFL. There was no reason to watch <laughs> the Argos for basically two months. I was having a blast. I was watching all these games. I was going to them. And then all of a sudden, I was at a game, and they went, they've clinched the East final. And I went, isn't that? months from now <laughs> isn't it june yeah <laughs> and so i've been pretty checked out we do have chad kelly this week Swag. i will i will address him not ch- not slap give me a dap at the at the stadium <laughs> <laughs> he was locked in but still hurt my feelings it was recorded sometimes you gotta air out grievances I reached, like that i reached out i tried to get a dap i didn't get it it was it was it was a tough moment for me they did win though so he was locked in had he not dap me up and then they blew the game <laughs> i'm like well what was that for what was that even for? Anyways, I'm stoked for the Argos game, but I did look at the weather, and it's going to be minus one, and I thought, oof, that's fine. We'll be all right. We'll, we'll make it through. But anyways, we're here. Uh, a couple quick talks. We have Jim Bowden in a couple minutes. Uh, he just wrote a, a piece up at The Athletic, obviously former uh, executive of the year, MLB analyst and insider. The GM winter meetings are underway, so now we're getting quotes. We're getting those tweets of, oh, right, I remember. The, it's happening. The, the meetings, the GMs are speaking. I saw our buddy Ben Nicholson-Smith said, Ross Atkins understands the frustration. I went, that's nice. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's all right. And then I got a bunch of tweets yesterday because the Blue Jays are bringing Guillermo Martinez back, and I cannot state my position on this any clearer. I don't think the hitting coach really matters I think a lot of you got way too upset this year about the Guillermo Martinez thing, and you've decided to stake it as a real position that has gotten to the point where there were viral videos of people calling for his job at Blue Jays games where the offense was sputtering. I I guess if you want to believe that the hitting coach is the reason why the Blue Jays across the board had their numbers down last year, you're entitled to that opinion. What I would say is for the Blue Jays, it's another example of them going, we don't care at all about the optics. <laughs> we are just going and plowing forward with the run it back strategy. We do not care that you think that our hitting coach wasn't good enough. And I, I will say this. It's tough to defend the hitting coach when they go, all of the, the core four star players numbers are down. You say, all right, I don't, I, again, personally, I think that hitting coaches matter, but maybe one to two percent at most. At oh, that's just, that that is the maximum. We're in the <laughs> red when I'm saying one to two percent when we're talking about a hitting coach. Even and, and I'm sure it varies between certain players, but let's be real here. 
the, the hitting coaches are not making or breaking players. I think that the team approach and the maturity, a lot of this, the team hitting coach should be probably somebody that's on the team, essentially, where they're, they're going to them and trusting their advice more than even the hitting coach. Anyway, the Jays not doing it, not capitulating. You could probably fire the hitting coach when everybody sucked last year on the team and the fan base is not thrilled about the guy. Instead, they hired a third base coach. Nice. Who cares? Who could possibly care? <laughs> who could possibly care about who a third base coach is? I, I just, I don't understand. Battle of Ontario is tonight. Very excited for that. It's two teams that are a little bit, I don't want to say they're at crisis points. I think the Sens are at a crisis point. The Leafs are clearly not where the Senators are. It's nice to have a little perspective, right? To appreciate the things that you have. Yeah. And I feel like playing the Ottawa Senators and discussing some of their stories later today with Ian Mendez is going to give some people some perspective here in terms of, hey, it, could be a lot worse. Could always be worse. Could be so much, so much, so much worse. Anyways, Jim Bowden. Again, he wrote a piece that's up on The Athletic right now. 24 predictions for signings, trades, hirings, and more. MLB analyst and insider with CBS, The Athletic, Sirius XM, and of course, uh, former executive of the year. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for making time, man. Good morning. Nice to be back on your show. Yeah, it's great to have you. So uh, let's just start with this. Do you have to do more? Is it like next year, 25 predictions? Do you go up a prediction every single year? You got to slot an extra one in based on the year? No, actually, I usually do 25 predictions. But uh, when I submitted it to my editors, uh, one of the decisions already had been made like like before they published it. So they took it off and called it 24. (laughs) I I thought you were going to be like, they thought it was not good. The editors decided, you know, this is not no, a good prediction. No, they don't, do that. they don't do that. <laughs> but, uh, they were a little late publishing it, so yeah. uh, one of my predictions uh, yeah, got caught. Okay, well, I, I do want to get into some of these predictions, and I think that there's some really big ones in there. But one, just I got to start with this. Winter meetings are underway, and we've already had, as you mentioned, a bunch of big moves already happened with managers, right? We've had a bunch of hirings, a bunch of movement. And you wrote in your piece that we probably won't see some of the big names move for at least a couple of weeks. I, I'm curious, what do you think the first domino is going to be, or who do you think the first domino is going to be when it comes to free agency or trades? Yeah, it's a great question. So the, the interesting part about this free agent class is the monopoly and the domination that Scott Boris Corporation has in a number of free agents that they're representing. Uh, and why do I bring that up? Because he has a long record, Scott does, of dictating timing of when they sign. Um, and so he's in a situation where he has Jordan Montgomery. Um, he has Blake Snell. He has Cody Bellinger. He has Matt Chapman. So he's got four of the top seven guys. Now, um, Scott has also a long history of stealing players from other agencies, right? Mm-hmm. So what other agencies don't want to do is uh, sign a player. Let's just say you, you, you sign a player like Aaron Nola for 120 and then the next week, Scott signs Snell and Montgomery for 140. Because what that does is that means future clients are going to sign with Scott, not with you. Mm-hmm. So that delays the process. Now, that being said, um, the first guy to go normally is whoever wants to break a record. Mm-hmm. What team out there wants to sit there and shatter what's ever been there? So if a player, say, is worth $125 million, which we have about four pitchers in this market that do, the first team that walks in with 145 or 150 
that's the guy that's going to sign first, and then the rest become domino effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's going to take a while, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's. I think you'll be, I think you'll be at your Thanksgiving dinner before the first big name drops, and I, and it may not even drop by the time the Cowboys kick off. Yeah, um, for us, we already had our Thanksgiving dinner up in Canada. We we did it. We yeah, how was it, by the way? It was fine. Did you, and did you wear sweatpants? Yeah, of course. It's, it's, here's the thing. Our Thanksgiving is exactly like yours, except for we don't have the football. <laughs> so it's just, we do, we double right. dip. We have well, our Thanksgiving. Though, right? Yeah, no, not even. We don't even have, there's no not sporting even. tradition. We have just completely co-opted American Thanksgiving. Like my family has a family football game that we play. It's all the same fixings. It's all the same food. It's okay. family. It's all, everybody give thanks. But then it's just, we, we watch you guys do it uh, a little while later. Uh, it's uh, apparently, yeah, well, I learned. Year I'm going to start celebrating yours with ours. Cause that would be fun to have two Thanksgivings. Yeah. I never really thought of that until yeah. this show. It's kind of like being a so divorced I think, I think kid. We should both celebrate both, right? Yeah. You guys are more than welcome to celebrate ours. That's completely fine. Uh, but yeah, I would say that it's, it's kind of like being a divorced kid and the, the one with your dad is the American Thanksgiving because there's no food, it's takeout, but you're watching football. Uh, the other one right, is well, with right. your mom where it's your family and you're doing wholesome stuff, the Canadian one. And, you know, it's interesting with the, the holding back of some of these free agents and not great for the Blue Jays that it's it's so many Boris clients, I got to tell you. Um, and, yeah, I guess Blue Jays probably not going to be as relevant as they have been in years past, especially given that they've got a lot of strength at pitching. That's the market right now is a lot of a lot more starting pitchers than some of the needs that the Blue Jays have. But I thought this was interesting with from John Rossi yesterday. He said this was a tweet from him uh, at the MLB GM meetings. A trend to watch team execs tell me trade conversations for position players are more serious now than this time of year. Uh, one reason is, quote, buying clubs have more interest in players under club control than those in free agency. And that would line up with kind of some of the talent that we see, right, Jim, with, with free agents this year at position spots. It's, it's not an overly deep class. I'm curious if you think that we're going to see trades heat up before we start to see signings, if a lot of clubs are going to try to get their business done before entering the free agent market. Yeah, well, if you want position players, the, the free agent market's not where you want to be, right? Because there's Cody Bellinger. There's Matt Chapman, Blue Jays' former third baseman. Uh, there's Young Ho Lee, the outfielder from South Korea. Uh, besides that, it's a pretty thin market. I mean, there's some DHs out there like J.D. Martinez and Jorge Soler. Uh, but, yeah, it's a very thin market. So, you know, for example, the Blue Jays are looking for a left-hand hitting left fielder. Well, you look on the open market, there's Cody Bellinger. Um, and what else? And that's a Boris client, by the way. Um, and then you've got a team like the Padres that have not been able to extend Juan Soto. And so they're listening to offers on him. Um, and, and so, you know, there's a possibility that, that he gets moved. So, yeah, I mean, I think when you're trying to improve a position, I wrote an article on The Athletic uh, after contacting all 30 front offices Mm-hmm. Just to find out the needs of each team, it was interesting how many teams like the Blue Jays are looking for a corner outfielder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just not a lot of quality on the open market. So the only way you're going to get it is through trade. Well, the the Cody Bellinger one is interesting, though. Again, you know, you, you wrote your first prediction was players that won't accept their qualifying offers. And Cody Bellinger and Shohei Otani are probably the most obvious examples of that. But, yeah, Bellinger is someone that the Blue Jays have coveted for a couple of years. There's always been rumors that they've tried to pursue him over the past few. Do, do you view them as realistic suitors for Cody Bellinger? I mean, if yeah, sure. I mean, look, all you got to do is step up and, and 
spend the money, open up the checkbook. I and mean, if Mark Shapiro wants to open up the checkbook and get Bellinger, the, the great thing about Boris clients is in most cases, his clients take the most money in the most years. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that is a theme. It's, it's usually not based on geography or chances to win. Scott lives in, and breathes on breaking records and changing the pay scale. So if you if the Blue Jays wanted him that badly, and, and again, I would think they'd want to take care of Bichette first, but mm-hmm. in any event, if they want to go break records, yeah, they, they can go get him. I do know that Bellinger loves Chicago. Mm. Uh, kind of felt like he found a home. He loved the city. Uh, and the way the Cubs went after Craig Council and gave him $40 million, um, I'll be surprised if they don't pursue him. But that being said, I'm also told they're going to be in Otani and you're not going to sign both Otani and Bellinger in all likelihood. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anything's possible. But again, it all depends on how committed the Blue Jays are in, in growing their payroll. I mean, but sure, if anybody wants them, just go break the record. You can have them. Yeah, it appears, though, from at least from the inferring from the media availability of Shapiro after the season, that, that the payroll is not going to take some kind of a meaningful escalation. The Jays do have money to spend. But I don't think that we're going to see a situation where all of a sudden it, it takes a, a massive increase, which which probably takes them out of a player like that, right? Unless they're really going to be tight around the rest of the roster. Um, and that, I guess, brings us to Chapman, who, yeah, they, they qualified. Um, and you predicted, of course, that he will not accept it, nor would he. But I'm, what do you think his market is going to be? Because, yeah, you mentioned it's not a deep free agent class, but this is a guy who's seen some pretty steady decline in the numbers. Even a lot of analytics point to the, the the third base defense. I know he just won a gold glove, but being something that's taken a bit of a slip. Do you, what, what do you view as the, the market for Matt Chapman? I think he gets somewhere in the ballpark of six years, 127 million. And I don't think it ends well. And <laughs> I would, if I'm Toronto, I would pass. Yeah. So, you know, look, I, I, look, he's still a gold glove third baseman because he won the award. He is not the same defensive player he was three years ago. He is a guy that can still provide power, mm-hmm. but, you know, he's not a middle-of-the-order bat, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's more of a uh, bottom third bat because um, you, you can pitch to him, but he's going to hit some home runs and play good defense. He's a good player. But, you know, when you start getting over the age of 30 and, you know, when you really sit there and study the algorithms of what players do, you know, 32 to 36, it's usually not very pretty. And Mm -hmm. the the declines are normal, not that it's everybody, because we've seen guys like Adrian Beltre age extremely well. So it's not not that there's not exceptions. Um, But if I were Toronto, I I don't want to commit $127 million to a 30-year-old third baseman that that doesn't hit for average or get on base. No, no. And like even the power numbers last year, he only finished with 17 home runs, 12 of which came in the first half of the season. Second half of the year, he he only hit five. He he really struggled down the stretch. And so, yeah, best of luck to whoever ends up signing Matt Chapman, still a good baseball player. Think that the the trade still worked out for the Blue Jays, but yeah, it's going to leave them with a hole at third base. And and it kind of gets us back to the, the trading for position players. Do you, how do you view kind of how the Blue Jays could fill that that positionally? Where what the third base trade market is going to look like? Guys that could be available. 
Yeah, I mean, look, it's third base is a thin position. I mean, that's why Matt Chapman will end up getting the six years, hundred twenty-seven million, because you know there's not a supply at that particular position. Mm-hmm. So it's not an easy position to fill. Uh, you know, to be honest. Um, so you know, do you go to the Rockies and try to get Ryan McMahon to put a third base? I think he would be a good fit um, for the Blue Jays based on their needs, but it's going to be a player of that level rather than a player of a higher elk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that the the fear you have if you're a Blue Jays fan is that they try to fill it internally with some younger guys or some players like Biggio that haven't historically played there full time, uh, and that you're trying to sort of paper it over and figure out, uh, okay, maybe you can fill a need somewhere else using the money. It's just that the Blue Jays remain this like a pretty interesting question mark, right? Is so far they're just running everything back, and and you were on with me. Uh, a while before, I, I think it was actually at the trade deadline because I was asking you about the pressure that the front office was under, and you stated very clearly you they were coming back. <laughs> it was surprised to some people after the disappointing exit that hey, Atkins was returning, and the, especially the way they lost, which was so deflating and disappointing, and the fan base is very, very upset right now. It's it's not a, a healthy position that they're in. But yeah, you were steadfast in the belief that they were going to do this. Um, you've always been pretty plugged in with these guys. I, I know that you know them. How do you sort of assess what you think their priorities are going to be over the coming weeks here? Because yeah, they're they're not they're not going to be at a position anymore where, like in off seasons past, where they get to be in on the Springers, right? Um, where they get to be in on even the Hunjin Ryu's. It, it feels like a bit of a different off season for these guys, where they're going to have to spread the wealth around. Yeah, and I completely agree with you on that. You know, look, this this it's a tough way to end the year when. Jose Barrios gets taken out of the game and then everybody points fingers. You know, I don't know what the fan base thought up there, but I'll never understand why everybody didn't understand that that was the manager's decision and nobody else's. I thought it was very interesting that everybody tried to blame the front office or the analytic department. It was clearly the manager's job and the manager's power and the manager's meeting and the manager's decision to do that. I mean, I, I just don't understand why everybody tried to blame everybody else, including Ross Atkins. Like, it, no. <laughs> and and the thing that alarmed me the most on that is the manager not taking responsibility. And I was surprised he kept his job after that, to be honest with you. I would have fired him on the spot. Not, not because he made a bad decision on Berrios. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't have fired him based on that. I would have fired him for not taking accountability for the decision. That that's what bothered me, coupled with the decision. That that just it just bothered me. And you wonder what effect it's going to have in the clubhouse, right? Because you heard public comments from guys like Whit Merrifield is not resigning with Toronto, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was extremely upset. And mm-hmm. you know, covering Marcus Simeon at the at the World Series, it's like how, how does Toronto let him go? Mm-hmm. You know, great move getting him, but how of all the players you have in your clubhouse, how is he not the priority with Bichette? Like, I, I, just, I just don't – I didn't understand that. And then you look at this team and you, you say, well, if you run it back, what's it going to look like? And to your point, yeah, starting pitching's there. I get it. Guerrero probably has a better year. But Springer's going to be another year older. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, the Orioles are going to get better. Tampa Bay is going to get better. The Yankees are going to get better. Boston's going to get better. So, for me, I'm looking at Toronto. I don't, I don't think you can run this team back. Mm-hmm. And, ex- and expect to be in, in the playoffs. So I think there's some work to do, not just filling holes. I, g- I get you're going to move Archer to center. 
And I get you're going to look for a left-hand bat like Bellinger to play left field or Juan Soto or somebody else. But mm-hmm. I kind of feel like if you're not going to sign Bichette and Guerrero, you got to at least listen to what the market has. Um, but I, I don't think you can run this team back as is because I don't think it's a playoff team. Yeah. And I think that's the the concern right now for a lot of people who are looking at this team is how do you improve? Because the farm system is not overly deep. And in the past, anyways, before uh, the last couple of seasons, anyways, and especially the Moreno deal, um, these these guys have been pretty reluctant to try to move all in when it comes to pushing every single farm piece out the door. Um, you've got a starting pitching staff that's good, but there's a huge question mark with Alec Manoa. And yeah, I think the Blue Jays are probably going to be trying to figure out next season what exactly they have in Vladimir Guerrero Jr., whether he is going to rebound and become a superstar again or whether or not he's just, you know, an above average hitter who is fine at first base, but not a real needle mover for a franchise. And so, you know, what you're kind of indicating is what do you what do you think the appetite is going to be for this group to make a significant and and splashy trade? Because they did get burned on the Moreno deal. They've taken a lot of heat for the Moreno deal. And like we've gone over it, they, they don't really have the the resources this year to be at the very top of the pile when it comes to free agency. So, yeah, if you had to, this is a harder game to, to, to play, but do you think that there is real potential here for a, yeah, a splashy move from the Blue Jays that is, holy crap, nobody really saw this coming. They made a, they made a significant change. I mean, I think they have to play a little bit of checkbook baseball because I don't think their farm system is deep enough to make the splash trade that they need to make. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I, I think they need to make the Juan Soto trade, but I'm not sure they have enough to be able to do that. But something like that would be a game changer. Then you put Soto in between Bichette and Guerrero with the pitching staff you have, and now you're in a really strong position. The Moreno trade made no sense, especially when they wouldn't give up Moreno for Jose Ramirez, and then you turn around and trade him for Dalton Varsho. Mm. Yes, he's a good defender with power, but he's never going to hit. He didn't hit in Arizona. He didn't hit in Toronto. I don't know why everybody thinks he's going to hit. He never has hit. I like the player, don't get me wrong. But for a young catcher that you control for six years, I mean, that's, that's a trade not, nobody understood at the time. Nobody understood it. Uh, and to put Guriel in the same trade, just it didn't make any sense. But, yeah, the change needs to happen in Toronto. And I think that Mark and Ross will be aggressively changing. They do have pitching, which is usually the hardest thing to get, and that, that's the positive news. But there's work to be done in this lineup. There's no doubt about it. And a left-hand hitter, an impact left-handed hitter, would be a perfect fit for them. What have what have you heard on Alec Manoa? Uh, I have no answers on Alec Manoa. I've talked to the Blue Jays front office on it. I I really don't know. I I always just kept waiting to hear the news that he was going to see Doctor Neil Elitrosh. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have no I have no idea if it's not physical. I I have no idea what happened, but he's certainly not a pitcher you can count on bouncing back next year. Yeah, just if they were to, because I, I think when we're talking about potential trade pieces, it's it's hard to think about what they would get back for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And you know, most of the insiders I've talked to say it's it's a it's a bit of a stretch to believe that he would be put in a trade. Same goes for Bo. But then again, you move beyond those two guys and say, well, what what is the what is the big move for you then? Right? Who is the player yeah, that you're going to be able to put in a trade? Yeah, see, for me, you've got to sign Bo long-term. Yeah. That, that has to be the biggest news, the first big news coming out. You've got to lock him up, mm-hmm. right? You do. Now, in terms of Guerrero, I, and I love Vladimir, I really do, but he isn't exactly happy um, from what I understand. And I think that you shop him and you see if you can get a three-for-one, mm-hmm. a four-for-one. 
Um, I think you shop them to see if you can get a young package, you know, do the reverse Moreno deal. Um, you know, there, there are teams out there that want an impact bat like Vladdy. Um, and to me, at least figure out what you can get because you need a quantity trade returning. You, you, you need three for one to feel good about this team going into next year. And you need to continue to get younger um, and affordable and get more guys in the 22 to 26 year old range. Um, you know, and if, if you could trade Guerrero for in a three for one kind of deal, mm-hmm. I think it's something you at least have to find out what's out there. Cause yeah. there are teams that would love to have, have Laddie. Yeah. You know, it's so, uh, again, this was a tweet from our Ben Nicholson Smith, who's down at the GM meetings. He asked Ross Atkins, uh, about a potential Vlad Jr. extension. So let's just play the game of like you interpreting this as someone who has done this job. Like you have been this general manager. He said, quote, those conversations are ongoing and always private. They are never stopping. We'll always be working on that and thinking about it, but it will remain private, end quote. And a part of that makes sense, right? Of course, you're not going to just negotiate through the media, but there's two years left on Vladdy's deal. And if it doesn't get done this off season, what does that say to you as a general manager? Well, I mean, here's the, here's the problem with Guerrero is you have to calculate based on his frame, his weight, and his performances. How do you think he's going to age? You got to make that call because the agents that are representing him, you know, are going to want what the other young players get, like Austin Riley of Atlanta, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're going to want that ten year deal. But you you have to ask yourself how do you, how do you think this particular player is going to age. And, and I think, I think just not his fault, but because of his body frame, I, I think there's a lot of risk. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I would be uncomfortable and, and, you know, we're not talking about the, the MVP player. He was a couple of years ago, right? I mean, this past year we had what 26 homers, 94 RBIs, right? OPS plus 117 award two. you know, that, that doesn't get for me, that doesn't get the Austin Riley deal. So I, you know, to me, I would be a little bit concerned for what they're going to want, and am I willing to pay it? And I also don't want to wait a year from now if I am going to trade him. Mm-hmm. If I'm not going to sign him, I'm not going to wait a year to trade him. I'd rather trade him while he's young and while while he's in his prime. That to me makes the most sense. Yeah, it, it's honestly, it's a, a lot of people keep looking at it. It's just everything that I've heard back from most is that they're they're not going to end up moving him. And, and they're in, again, that difficult position where they didn't hit last year, and it's hard to remove one of the only bats from your lineup, even if it was a disappointing player, unless it's a deal like the one you're talking about where it's a bit of a reset, and then you're finding other ways to bring in some other bats. It's just, yeah, looking at... It just it feels like a bit of a perfect storm for the Blue Jays where it's difficult because of a lot of the reasons you mentioned where it's a, it's a weak free agent class. They don't have a ton to trade. There's nobody really internally that's supposed to like really step up and fill a void somewhere. And then you mentioned the division, which is, yeah, a young Orioles team that looks like it's going to get better. And one of your predictions, too, is that they lock up two of their big stars, which, yeah, is, is not going to spell well for the Blue Jays moving forward. But the other one is, you know, the, the Red Sox fired their general manager with the idea of they're going to get more competitive. You have a Yankees team that's been going through, yeah, a, a tough run, especially given that they are the Yankees. How, how aggressive do you anticipate the Yankees and Red Sox being in free agency and as players just in terms of the trade market this coming offseason? Is this going to be like a, a real push to get back to where they feel like they normally belong? I think, I think the Yankees will make one big move. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe two, 
I think the Red Sox will make at least two moves. Um, both of them, and Craig Breslow, the new GM in Boston, is going to want to put his fingerprints on this team. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to get definitely a starting pitcher and a second baseman. I know they've already met with Scott Boris regarding Jordan Montgomery. Um, yeah, I also know they've talked to the Reds about Jonathan India, and they they also have interest in Whit Merrifield. Um, so I, I think Boston will definitely get better. The Yankees don't feel an overhaul, but that being said, they're going to end up getting at least an outfielder and a starting pitcher mm-hmm. um, for sure. Baltimore is going to do everything they can to get another starter for that team. And they've got every other piece just about there and ready to go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this division's going to, everyone's going to just keep trying to get better. And so whatever, you know, the Blue Jays need to, are going to need to keep up with the Joneses and they've got work to do. There's no question about it. And, you know, look at this Blue Jays lineup. And if you want Guerrero to have a better year, and you want Bichette to reach the potential, put a big left-hand bat in between the two of them in the lineup. That will change everything for them. They need to do that. I don't even think it's a want. I think it's a need. Mm-hmm. So before we get to prediction 20, I, I do need to ask you where you think Shohei Otani uh, signs. I know you wrote it in the piece. I, I, didn't yeah, see, I, don't, so, I didn't see anyone else other than you have this prediction. Yeah. So as you know, I'm pretty well connected with yeah. Otani's group over there. And the whole world has him going to the Dodgers. Yep. And so I didn't want to jump in with the whole world. But, you know, we have to recognize that the Dodgers made a lot of decisions over the last three years to prepare for Otani. And that included letting Trey Turner go to Philadelphia and not paying him the $300 million, um, because their goal was to get Otani. And they have the payroll flexibility to go get Otani right now. At the same time, if the Dodgers want to do <clears throat> get back to the playoffs again next year, they've got starting pitching huge issues, especially with Kershaw now hurt and counting on Gonsolin and May coming back from injury and hoping that Bueller, after the second Tommy John, even though he had a hiccup in September, can come back. So, you know, they need pitching. I don't know if Otani's going to ever pitch again. And if he does, it certainly won't be next year. So, you know, the other thing, too, is that Otani's group, there's three teams that keep coming up. Um, and that's the Seattle Mariners, the Dodgers, and the Rangers. The Rangers just won the World Series. We know Otani's number one goal is to be on the October stage. It's hard if you're Otani not to look at Texas and look at the world champions and say, wow, that'd be a great spot. And then imagine in 2025, I'll be sitting there pitching with DeGrom at the top of that rotation. Right. And then look at that left hand at bat that Otani with Seeger and Simeon and the Odelis Garcia. Imagine what that's going to look like. Yeah. And imagine your chances of playing in October. The other thing is, he loves Seattle. In fact, he has spent multiple off seasons living in Seattle. Mm. That's where he goes. And can you imagine him and Julio Rodriguez? And they already have five starters. In fact, they have six. They don't even need Otani to pitch. But you put Otani in that lineup, that really improves their chances of playing with Houston and Texas next year. He'd be a game changer. Now, whether the owner is willing to put a half a billion dollars on a designated hitter, I, mm-hmm. I have no idea. But it seems to me like Ray Davis in Texas and uh, Mark Walter in with the Dodgers are willing to do what it takes to land them. Um, and I do know that he has interest in all three of those places. So I think he goes to one of the three. 
I took the Rangers, predicted yeah. it because nobody else did. And yeah. so, okay, let's have that happen. That would be fun. Well, before the Garcia injury during the playoffs, it felt like that lineup just had no let up. It was just, oh, yeah. this this lineup. And it was, again, for Blue Jays fans, a reminder of, boy, it's nice having the team where it doesn't feel like the pitcher gets a break, that it's just one guy after another. Fitting him into that is insane. Like, because yeah. Garver was a and, and great course, DH Garver's from them. a free agent, so yeah. the DH spot's open. Right? Yeah. And the other thing about the Rangers is they have Wyatt Langford that's going to be in the big leagues next year. And he, he's going to be a star. Mm-hmm. So Langford will end up in left, Evan Carter in center, then Tavares will become the fourth outfielder. Or Tavares gets traded for more pitching. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, imagine adding Langford and Otani to that group. Well, yeah, I, so, again, it's just it brings me – it because, like, this is a Toronto show. Everything I think of, like – you say it doesn't feel like maybe Toronto would be a playoff team right now, and you look at it and say, yeah, they, they had a lot of breaks. They had incredible health with their starting pitching. The pitching was great. Manoa was a really tough break for them, but again, now he's a wild card. And then you look at the potential of an Otani landing in Texas or Seattle and how much more difficult that makes that and, and how many of the teams that we've been discussing are going to be trying to really improve this year. It's like a lot of the teams that, are, that were battling with Toronto for that final playoff spot. One that they, they didn't exactly do much with. Okay, so last one before you go. Uh, prediction 20 was exciting for Canadian baseball fans because it's, quote, MLB begins more concrete discussions about expansion but specifies that it won't happen for at least five to seven years. So you got to wait. You got to wait. But you wrote Nashville, Charlotte, and Montreal become the early favorites to land new franchises, uh, end quote. What, where do you put Montreal in all of this? Do, do you, yeah, do you so, see that they return? So I, put, I, put Na- I put Nashville first. I yep. think they get the first expansion team. Like, I think that's a foregone conclusion, even though they haven't announced that. I, I really believe that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, then I, and then I put Montreal right there. There, there mm-hmm. is a lot, there's a lot of people in Major League Baseball that really would like to see two teams in Canada, right? And I think Montreal has the advantage over Vancouver. And I think a lot of people believe that if, the stadium was done right in Montreal that they deserve a second chance to have baseball, just like Washington DC did where they then won a world championship. So I think there's, there's a, a large group of people that are in the important spots in the commissioner's office that would love to see baseball return to Montreal. So I think it's, I think it's legitimate. I don't think it's a slam dunk. I don't think it's done. Um, and, and I'm not sure how the blue Jays would feel about having to share Canada again. Mm-hmm. But I think it would be good for Major League Baseball to have two teams again in Canada. And I do think Montreal deserves another chance. I would love it. It would just, and it would make people more realistic about free agent season for the Blue Jays. Because what happens every single year is we're told, you know, the Blue Jays might be in on this player. Because why? Well, they could be interested in playing for an entire country. <laughs> and that's the big sell always. You remove that. And then finally, it can come down to the realistic things, which are, hey, are they willing to put the, the assets on the table to acquire the player? Uh, Jim, thanks as always for making time. Uh, always learn a lot when you come on. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Take care. Jim Bowden, MLB analyst and insider, CBS Sports, Sirius XM, The Athletic, uh, and of course, uh, former executive of the year. So just a couple quick things off that before we take a break. It's all Boris clients, and he just said it. They want the most money. Yeah. <laughs> so let, let's just stop with the whole play for a country thing. 
That's something guys say after they get the money. And and they're they're spinning it to the city and to the fan base and telling you, we, we're so excited to play for a country. It's so different playing here, playing for an entire country. I I think it's the biggest crock ever. Like, I don't believe in any of that. I don't think, I think guys come here and they go, wow, this is pretty cool when they do the winter tour, right? And they see that there's fans in Winnipeg. I think they think, wow, this is pretty cool when they go to Seattle and it's all the people from the West that end up invading the stadium to the point where the Mariners start selling Blue Jay stuff in the team shop because they know that's the best way to create merch. But when it comes to free agency, you know, I got a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn if you think that there's a Blue Jay or a future Blue Jay that's going to come here because they sit down and go, I'm so excited to play for Canada, the, the country where most guys, including sharp guys like Jim Bowden, don't even know we have a different Thanksgiving, okay? <laughs> All right? Enough. Enough of this. Enough of this thing that gets propped out to us every single year. That, uh, play for a country. Play for a country. I- I'm tired of it. It's one. It's the thing that's going to get guys here Opportunity to win, but number one is money and the amount of years you get the money. <laughs> How many years do I get that the, the money? The most amount of money. Yeah, George Springer <laughs> didn't come here because he thought, wow, this is the best place to win. Wow, I'm so excited to be a Blue Jay. He came here because they said, we'll give you an extra year of the money, George. And he said, yep, I would like that. I would like the extra year of the money. The winning stuff is nice. Of course it's nice. There Are there players that are not going to be like Shohei Otani? If, uh, you know, the Kansas City Royals decided we're going to break the bank and we're going to try to go after Shohei, we're going to offer him the most amount of money, would he come there? Probably not, because he'll be able to get a competitive deal for a few dollars less for a team that's going to win. Yeah, winning matters. But now, you especially look at baseball. This is a new thing, too. With all these extra playoff teams, you're not in that competitive window anymore where a guy might look at it and say, all right, you're one of the three teams that could contend for a World Series. The 84-win Diamond uh, Diamondbacks just went to the World Series. They just went there. It, you just got to get in. You just got to get in and then be with a good team that gets hot. So there's just way more groups that could be quote-unquote competitive. How many teams do you really feel like the Blue Jays are definitely better positioned than today? I would argue it's not as many as you would like it to be. Let's just put it that way. Do I think that the Blue Jays are going to be pretty much the same as last year where they're a fringe playoff team, but that they're... Right as of today, unlikely to be competing for the division title. That's that's where I would put them. Wild card team again, another year of fighting for a wild card. Hard to imagine it's ever going to be as difficult as last season was. That we're going to see another year where just it's painful going down to the ballpark. It's painful watching the baseball team. That the president of the team stands at a podium and says it was the worst slog of his career right, of his 20-year baseball career, that it was the most difficult to watch despite his team making it to the playoffs. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. There's going to be some positive regression. It's not all negative with the Toronto Blue Jays. But so far it's been, hey, run back the manager, run back the president, run back the general, run back the GM, run back the hitting coach, (laughs) run Run back everybody. Hey, publicly right now, Alec Manoa is going to have a chance to pitch. He's going to have a chance to join the starter. He's got a leg up, I think was the term Mm -hmm. that Ross Atkins used yesterday. All right, cool. So maybe Manoa comes back and maybe he's an ace again. What does that do for you? Well, it's probably just a leveling out effect because you got to figure the rest of the rotation is just not going to be as good next year. That Kikuchi is not as great. That Barrios maybe isn't as great. Maybe even Gossman takes a bit of a step back. I don't know. But that the position... The position players on this team 
How, how is that going to improve? All right, well, internal improvement from Vladdy, a little bit from Bo. Maybe Springer's not as bad. Maybe father time is not hitting George Springer the way that we're anticipating that it is or the reason why he took such a big step back next year. All right, what are you going to do? This team's clearly not good enough for just some minor upgrades around the fringes. Like, can they just go out and add a left-handed bat in free agency that can mash but doesn't really play defense and essentially you're back to the Lourdes Gurriel Jr. thing? I saw yesterday, I think it was John Morosi who tweeted the Jays could be interested in Michael Taylor, center fielder who, who hits for power, is not as good as Kevin Kiermeyer in center field, but duh, who, who is Kevin Kiermeyer in center field? But a good player, right? Good player. But where's Michael Taylor going to play? That's going to keep Dalton Varsho in left field? None, well, I, I don't know. This doesn't really make sense. Don't you want it more of a masher? Michael Taylor, good player. But the point is, is it feels like they need something. They need some kind of needle move, not just to reinvigorate the fan base, but to try and win. Yeah, to actually it, contend. Yeah, yeah. They, they need it. And they don't seemingly have the prospect. I love the idea he floated out there of get Juan Soto. Duh. But <laughs> he just said it. Do that. Well, if you're not going to... If you're not going to be able to have the prospects to get one Soto, how do you do that deal? I would do the Vladdy deal and then try to get one Soto done under contract. Imagine how this fan base would feel if they flipped Vladdy and pieces for Soto and then gave Soto and Bo extensions this offseason. I know that's kind of pie in the sky stuff, but if you're the Padres and you're trying to commit, you're trying to have the, the future and do all this different stuff, isn't at least Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s name something that you would want to entertain? How do you not... What, what does everybody keep saying? At least have the conversations of what's out there. Maybe um, it's just completely unrealistic. Maybe it's a zero percenter. Maybe it's just completely nonsensical. And it, it's just no one would even begin that conversation. But it just keeps coming back to the same thing for me, which is the guy who most people have the jersey of right now, the real face of the franchise for the casual fan, for a kid, right? The, the, we're going to start calling this the Weminyama test because that's who kids are going to know is Weminyama. That's going to be the new Steph Curry. Maybe it's the Steph Curry test is, hey, who did kids like? Steph Curry. Who did kids want to have the jersey of? Steph Curry. Who did they want to play in the video game? Steph Curry. It will soon be Weminyama. If you do the Steph Curry slash Weminyama test in Toronto for baseball, it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He's the player that most casuals know. He's the person that you can put on a billboard. Affable guy, big smile, big personality, big name, big bat, all those things, right? Great for advertising, for marketing. Maybe not as great of a baseball player as we once thought. I, I personally don't think he's as bad as he was this year, but I don't, I don't think that we're ever going to see the, the, the MVP candidate again. I think that the thing that we thought was being delivered to the city of Toronto when he had the MVP runner-up season, it's not, it's not going to happen again. I don't see it. And if you don't think it's going to happen, Jim's right. You can't wait another year and then flip Vladdy if he has another disappointing season and then he's a year away from free agency and he's not happy with the team because they didn't negotiate with him. Feels like this is the time. Feels like he is the best chit in your arsenal to try to push forward to other teams for you to improve. Like, what else is it? Is it your farm system that has essentially, who knows? And farm systems are weird because some teams covet a player more than others. I get it, blah, 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 blah. But are they really going to deal Ricky Tiedemann to bring in some kind of amazing player for this team? I don't know. It doesn't really feel that way. And it looks like there's a lot of teams that are looking to trade, a lot of people that are looking for controllable players, a lot of people that are looking to be competitive. Why wouldn't you want to try to rob the Blue Jays of Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? 
Why wouldn't you want to see if he can bounce back in a different atmosphere, in a different environment, maybe take a little bit of the pressure off? Just a, a change of scenery for him. I, I don't see what the other move is unless they just say, we're breaking the bank on Bellinger. We're breaking the bank and getting another starting pitcher here. We're Yeah, we're moving Manoa, but his value is actually not as diminished as you think. And we're bringing in somebody else and signing one of these starting pitchers. You know, we're going after Blake Snell and Cody Bellinger. And then you go, whoa, I don't think that's happening. I don't think that they have the money to do it. I think that they're going to spread it around. And it's going to be a bunch of guys that are good peripheral players. And then they're going to have to make a trade. But who do you trade if it's not Vladdy? You're not trading Bo. You're not trading any more of the catchers. That's done. You already chose which one to trade and you blew it. Good job. <laughs> you traded the best one <laughs> with the most control. Who's better at Youngest all the one highest who's, upside. Who's literally better at all the things than any of the other guys that you have. Good job. Good job on that one. For the guy that, as Jim said, he never hit. So why did you think he was going to hit? It's like, well, maybe the blue just didn't think he's no, no. He opened the roster as the DH or sorry, not as the DH, but as the, the four hole guy. But who cares? You can't revisit that anymore. It's just that's it's time to turn the page, even though we're not going to ever. It'll be brought up till basically the day I die, I think. Uh, I'll, there will always be people talk, <laughs> talk about the Murano trade. But yeah, how are you going to have a, a lineup that doesn't feel like it has so many let-up spots? You're not going to be the Rangers next year. There's no way of manufacturing a group where all of a sudden the Toronto Blue Jays or the Texas Rangers where it's just relentless, where you feel like, oh, you got to get Leotis Taveras out and then he was awesome in the playoffs too. And then when he'd get on base, he was a, a threat. I don't think that's happening for this team. But how do you make this work? You can't trade Dalton Varsho. You just traded for him and his trade value's down. He's your center fielder. He should be anyways. You can't trade George Springer. He makes too much money and he's too old. No one's going to want him. Can't trade Boba Shedd. He's your best player. He's the guy that you should be focusing on re-signing. Can't trade either of the catchers at this point. Again, diminished value. Who's going to take... Danny Jansen off your hands for a real price because he gets hurt a lot. He's a good player, but he gets hurt a lot. Alejandro Kirk, same thing. Are you, are you going to trade Kirk at a diminished value? I don't, I don't know. What's the market for Kirk? I don't really know. What are you going to get back for a Kevin Biggio despite a stronger showing? I don't know. When, when Ben Nicholson Smith was writing his pieces about outlining the Blue Jays offseason and he was talking about trading Santiago Espinal, it was for cash considerations and future options. It's not like you're getting anything back for him. So, so where is the trade coming? If you're going to, if they're saying they don't have the money to be up with the big boys and they don't have the prospects to be getting in on the Juan Sotos, where are you going to make the significant trade? Where are you going to make the significant move? You've already decided that it's not going to happen with your coaches. You brought back the hitting coach for God's sake. You're not going to change the front office. That's going to be stable. So what is the roster move that is going to inspire people to believe that next year is going to be better because internal progress is not going to cut it, especially given that you're losing pieces. You're losing Kevin Kiermaier. You're losing Brandon Belt. You're losing Matt Chapman. And as much as I didn't enjoy Chapman, and I'm saying good riddance, and frankly, you know, thanks for the memories, but $100 million for you is insane. I don't care if he wins World Series MVP. That's nuts to give him $100 million. How are you going to replace those players in a meaningful way? Because a lot of those guys, Kiermaier, Belt, right? They, they were meaningful players for you. Whit Merrifield was good for the Blue Jays for a long stretch. How are you going to replace those guys with better without making a, a real move, without, without splashing some dollars around or making a big-time trade? 
So yeah, it just Vladdy continues to be the name that I circle. And I know that's hard for a lot of people to hear because they don't want to give up on him. They love Vladdy. Hell, I love Vladdy. I, I want Vladdy to succeed. Who Who's rooting against Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Like, you got to be sick. You got to be Ben Ennis. That's the only person I know that roots against Vladdy. The rest of us are on board. Be better. We want you to be better. We want you to be the franchise player. We want you to be the guy that we saw the videos when you were 16 years old and people were going, it just sounds different off the bat. But I don't know if it's going to ever happen here. And if they're not meaningfully, they're not making meaningful negotiations to get some kind of a long-term deal done for some of the reasons Jim outlined, then yeah, it's, it's probably time to move on. It just, it just seems to make the most sense for the rest of this roster of how, how they're going to change and how you show up at the ballpark to start next season, how you show up to spring and go, man, we're really interested in the storylines on this team outside of just who the new left fielder is and the pressure on them to hit, right? Like, who cares? Anyway, quick break. We'll come back. Ian Mendez in the 10 o'clock hour. All right, we got to be quick here, but I'll, I'll bring this back in what we missed. But... Both Simon and Armin sent me LeBron yesterday. It's the, the NBA, they, they released that all the correct calls were made in the last two minutes of the Lakers heat game, despite LeBron doing his classic just complaining about the refs. And then he moves the needle after the NBA says the two-minute report was correct. We looked into it because LeBron was just nonstop crying. And then LeBron quote tweets this with the game isn't won or lost in the last two minutes, exclamation, exclamation point. If you know the game, things happen throughout the first, second, third, and first 10 minutes of the fourth quarter. That has major impact on the outcomes. <laughs> major, by the way, in all caps. My favorite, there's so many parts of this tweet that I love. The excuse making. But my favorite is if you know the game, yeah. there are things that happen in the first, second, third, and first 10 minutes just outlining. You don't, you don't know the game if you yeah. don't think that things happen, happen in the yeah. game. And not, instead of just writing the, uh, the rest of the game outside of the two <laughs> minutes, he's like the first, the second, the third, and the first 10 minutes of the first quarter. Even during timeouts, yeah. you know? Things happen Things with happen. LeBron. I, I don't understand this because if you look at LeBron's free throw attempts per game, since he's joined the Lakers... Right, he's age 35 to 39 seasons. 5.7, 5. 5.7, 6, 5. 5.9, 5.7. He's, <laughs> there could not be more consistency with LeBron here. What I need, what I actually want is for one of those psychos who did the Astros bat, you know, the, the garbage can the, yeah, videos. Yeah. Like the Zapruder like, film. Of yes. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough. I want one of these people to go through and collect all of the LeBron calls. Because here's my guess. This is the most annoying thing about LeBron. Is he so strong that there are times where he probably is fouled? He's got this Shaq thing, right? Where he's probably fouled and they miss it because he's so strong that he's able to just completely power through the contact. Do I think that happens? 100%. 100%. Do I also think that... I would say... Let's put it this way, especially if we're going to do the LeBron career thing always, right? LeBron's career. Oh, LeBron's career. LeBron's career. Oh, the greatest career. Do you think there's ever been a player that's gotten more calls their way than LeBron James in the history of the game? No, there's no way. Think about he's the scoring leader, for God's sakes. He has gotten more friendly calls than any player in the history of basketball. He's also a huge flopper. I know Armin's shaking his face because yeah, he can't Armin. handle it. As a Lakers fan, he's like, I can't handle what you're saying. But it's true. It's true. No one has gotten more friendly calls than LeBron. And I just don't get this obsession that he has 
with the officiating now. I, I don't get it. Do you think that's why you can't beat Jokic? You think that's why Jokic is sweeping you? That's why the who's your daddy calls are happening? Is because the refs are missing this huge amount of calls in the, quote, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, and the, the first, first 10, 10 minutes of the fourth. the first 10 minutes of the fourth. Don't forget about the first 10 minutes Just, of the fourth. This is the thing. LeBron's legacy is completely bulletproof. He has never had a controversy. All these things. It's like the decision is the worst thing that people point to. But this is actually part of his legacy that drives me. This is the one that drives me the most nuts is stop bitching and complaining about the refs all of the time. Stop flopping and stop crying about the officials constantly. Just don't do that. <laughs> and it's fine. But he is. Stop and stop lying about books you've read and predictions you've made. That's another one too. Because the internet never forgets. Yeah, the yeah. internet never forgets. Anyways, quick break. Let's come back and let's talk about the Battle of Ontario and poof, what the hell is going on with the Ottawa Senators? So yeah, Battle of Ontario tonight. Drama. You thought our drama was bad. Everybody's. Why isn't that number twosie better? Woohoo. Why? Turns out it could be worse. Could be worse. <laughs> uh, one of my favorites, one of the best in the business, uh, the Athletics senior writer, Ian Mendez. Uh, good morning. Hey, good morning. Yeah. So uh, a forfeit, uh, forfeited first involving a controversy <laughs> surrounding a failed trade. Uh, yeah. A, a half-season suspension for a gambling scandal involving a 20-goal scorer. Um, an interim GM after a GM was fired at dinner uh, over one of those scandals. Uh, an owner stating that the league failed to disclose valuable information during a, a sale uh, and vocally chastising the league. Um, the face of the franchise calling out the fan base and the head coach on a hot seat um, where the fans are cheering for his firing, chanting for his firing on a daily basis. Uh, have I missed anything? And that's just the last two weeks. Yeah, that's two that's, weeks. Yeah, that wasn't, that's, that's not, that, I was going to say, that's not the history of the franchise. That's not yeah. the last year and a half. That's, that's that time. But I, but that's, I got it. We're, we've covered all the things. Did I miss I anything? Think, uh, well, I mean, losing, you break five something? Of, uh, <laughs> losing five of six games yeah. within that window too is probably, you know, that, that probably is the, the catalyst for those, you know, fire DJ chants and, mm -hmm. and everybody getting hot. But you're going to get tonight, you're going to get, and it's probably a good thing Toronto won that game against Tampa on Monday mm -hmm. because they would have been equally as ornery. But mm -hmm. you're going to see a really interesting Ottawa team mm -hmm. uh, tonight. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we'll start with the fire DJ things because you wrote it in your piece. Uh, record after 20 games under Smith, year over year, you were like, yeah, I'm just like cut and pasting my pieces here. But yeah. Yeah, uh, these are the years, 31st, 32nd, 31st, 28, the last, under DJ Smith to start uh, the first 20 games of the season with the Senators. I, I guess, yeah, the fans are right. Fire DJ, what are, what are they doing? Like, how, how long is the leash here? How, when are we going to get this? It kind of feels like do or die, no? Yeah, and, and that's just it. I think if they hadn't tripped out of the gate in November in each of the last few seasons, there would be a little bit more patience, but like, mm -hmm. you'll have to forgive the fans here. Like, like I know people are saying, Oh, Ottawa fans are melting down. And, and like, just from their perspective, you have to understand that they were promised that things would be different, that this year it would be different. And now to win only four of your first 10 games, uh, it's frustrating. So I, look, I think we're, we're heading into a critical stretch for Ottawa. They have five games, um, in the next kind of 
you know, 10 days. And just like the Leafs, they're going over to Sweden. When we get out of those five games, they'll be at the 15-game mark, kind of heading into U.S. Thanksgiving. I always think that that's a natural point in the schedule to take a deep breath, look Mm -hmm. and analyze your team. They also have a six-day break between coming home from Sweden and playing again. If you're going to do anything, I think that's the time. Uh, but that's a big if. But but they got to win. Like like when you've won four of ten games after promising and vowing that you would be better, it's got to be it's got to be viewed as unacceptable by the media, by the fans, and you know by the players themselves. Everyone has to deem this unacceptable in Ottawa. Well, uh, I think one of the issues I have with it is okay, you're Steve Steos, right? You're thrown into this job. And I, I, again, I read in your PCs, quote, first priority is to instill stability and confidence in the group, end quote. And I go, so one of your first moves is going to be to fire the coach, right? Like you fire the coach. I don't know how that provides stability. It's just another, like, it, it's another log on the, the, the fire that is the Ottawa Senators right now. I just feel like they're in such a no-win position in terms of trying to change the narrative outside of winning right now. Yes, exactly, and 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 quite frankly, winning is going to solve everything. I, you know, I think for the most part, I look, and they've had injuries too. There's some mitigating sure. circumstances here. Thomas Shabbat and Artem Zub, who should play tonight, but Thomas Shabbat has been out, and Eric Branson's been out, and Artem Zub's been out. And those are three of their top six D. So th- there are some circumstances here that you would look at this and say, okay, like let's take a deep breath. And I, I think Mike Andlauer and Steve Steos have just come onto the scene. So I don't blame them if, it, you know, mm-hmm. they, they don't start firing people. Like, they didn't want to fire the general manager. They just had no choice. I think they mm-hmm. reached a, a point there. So I don't think they want to come in and just start making moves and, and creating no. instability. But, again, it's new to them. It's old to us. And that's the, that's the disconnect here is that the fans feel like we've seen this movie Four times before, mm-hmm. we don't need to see the fifth installment of it. Yeah, this is one of the things that I was t- I was talking about this with someone a couple of weeks ago, how um, in sports it, it used to feel like it was way too volatile, especially here in Toronto, where it was, hey, the, too many front offices, too many coaches, too many changes. And then we were all told, hey, stability, stability, stability. It's all about stability. You got to give front offices seven, eight, nine, ten, God knows how many years. We're seeing it with the Toronto Blue Jays right now, right? It's just like year year eight, all right, run it back, do all the same things. I think that we've reached a tipping point now in sports where organizations are so afraid to look stupid by firing someone that they keep running things back, and they're forgetting that there is a cost with fan bases, that the run it back strategy might be all right from the executive standpoint. It's really, really tough on fans when they start to see the repeats of the same problems. And like... You know, you're you're someone who's been around this team for, forever. Like when I was in university, going to these games, uh, going to Carlton and showing up and uh, yelling at you as you try to do your reports. <laughs> you'd be there. I'd be in my least jersey. You'd be like doing your stand up, and I'd be like, you know, yelling at you, try to throw you off your yeah. game. Uh, you've seen, yeah, like you've seen this franchise from the the very beginning, and it's fun when you're covering a team and there's a little bit of controversy and I don't mean like the bad ones. I mean, ones like this where it's like the fan base is really involved and everyone has an opinion on it. And it's the talk of the town. That's fun, but it does reach a point where it gets exhausting. And I, I feel like, is it, is it reaching that right now? Because all of those things I outlined, I'm like, whoof, every day you got to write, you know, the, the, these pieces, it's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. And, you know, I think there's an exhaustion point in the marketplace and, mm-hmm. Look, Ottawa has, and then we talked about, look, look at all these crazy stories that have happened in the last two weeks. you got to remember, 
in addition to that, they have the longest playoff drought of any Canadian team. Yeah. Like, this has been six years. So this isn't just like a, oh, man, people are overreacting. Like, like I guess my point is stop telling Ottawa fans to be patient. Like, mm-hmm. like people are always like, oh, your better days are ahead and be patient. Well, Where? they were told in 2018, 2019 that, and look, take it with a grain of salt, but remember the whole, un, you, you'll have a window of unparalleled success from 2021 mm-hmm. to 2025. Well, guess what? Newsflash, we're halfway through that window and they haven't made the playoffs and there's no reason to believe as we have this conversation today that they're an automatic lock to make it this year. So you'll forgive the fans for asking for change, demanding change. And look, this isn't this DJ Smith's fifth season uh, as a head coach. And if I'm not mistaken, there has not been in the salary cap era. um, I think other than Jeff Blashill in Detroit, I, I think that's the only coach that got to more games kind of without making the playoffs uh, or, you know, in a row than, than Smith. So, like, it's, it's gotten to the point where 300 games is enough of a, of a metric for a lot of people to say or a sample size to say, okay, we've seen enough. So that's, that's where it's coming from. It's not coming from just it's just two weeks of just I can't believe it's every time I open my phone there's a new story. It's not that. Mm-hmm. It's the six years. It's the broken promises. It's the, the underwhelming results. It's, it's, it, they should have been a playoff team by now. And, and I think the fear is you become – Remember those really good, like Buffalo's now, this is year 12. Mm-hmm. But you go back five, six years ago in Buffalo when they had Eichel and they had Reinhardt and they had, like, there was a feeling like, hey, this team's on the cusp. Yeah. And it didn't, didn't happen. And go back, there were some great Florida Panthers teams. Remember the Ole Jokinen, yeah. like Stephen Weiss? Yeah, and, I'm old. Yeah, you don't want to get to the point in your program where all of a sudden you just go eight, nine, ten years without making the playoffs and everyone's just kind of shrugging their shoulders and, and and that's the danger. It's at a real tipping point in Ottawa from that mm-hmm. perspective uh, when it comes to this team in the playoffs. Well, the, the scary part, too, is, well, there, Ottawa, I, I, like, I've lived there, and I I have all my families from the, the Valley. Uh, I spend a lot of time there. I, I know the fan base pretty intricately. There, there's a lot of diehards, and I used to say for a long time it took a bad rap because when the the Leafs or the Habs would come to town and take over the building, it always looks like much worse than it is. But there's a lot of people who really want to, yeah, who who want to root for that team. There is a real base, but I I don't know what it's I don't know how they can withstand stretches like this, right? There was some excitement of, hey, new ownership and some changes. They got the Clojure Roux signing. It was a local guy coming back. There was a competitive window. You had Brady Kachuk. You know, you make the Chikrin trade. You're bringing in, like, real notable players. And it, it felt like there was a bit of a turning of the tide. So to come out and have this disappointment, I, I think, yeah, obviously this is the worst of them all, especially given all the things that are around it. But what do you think the state of the franchise is going to be if they do endure another season of just like losing and dysfunction? Yeah, it, it's 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 hard on the fan base, and this is a this is a fan base that has taken a lot of uh, shots from from other cities and mm-hmm. Canada because people say you don't support your team, but you don't understand what they've been through. Like like people don't understand. Mm-hmm. The Melnick era and yeah. the and the and the destruction. It, it, the only comparison I could make would be the Ballard era in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And anybody that went through that, like you come out of it on the other side with a greater appreciation for it. And I don't think people understand on the outside what they what what they dealt with. So, like I, I think as bad, like let's say they finished with eighty two points this year, they missed the playoffs. It's 
still not going to be where it was four no. years ago, five years ago. But there does come a point where the the fans start to think like, okay, like where's the issue here? Is it the roster? Is it the coaching? Is it like like what what's preventing them? Because look, every move they've made in the last eighteen months to two years, getting the Brinket, getting Chikrin, signing Giroux, signing Tarasenko, trading away Gustafson for Talbot. Signing Corpusello. These are all win now moves. Like enough mm-hmm. with this garbage of like, well, we're we're built. Like stop it. Like mm-hmm. you're you're acting like a team that wants to win now. You don't sign Tarasenko, Giroux, trade for Chikrin, trade for Debrinket, and then act like, well, we're still building. No, yeah. stop it. Like yeah. that that's the that's the problem here with the fans. Yeah, but and this is kind of where I get to is that there was so much, um, let's just say, hate for Melnick. People just they they couldn't stand it. I had families who family members, you know who love going to these games and they just felt like they were being taken advantage of by an owner that did not care about the fans and would do anything possible to turn a bit more of a profit. Yeah. There was the whole thing with, uh, man, the, the winter classic game. Was it winter classic or heritage classic where it's like, Hey, you know what? Maybe I'm sell yeah. team. It's like, Oh, you know, it's, it's hard to ingratiate yourself with a fan base when you're making that threat. Uh, and yeah, when you feel, when the fans feel gouged on everything from parking to the tickets to whatever, but the new ownership thing happens, and it just it felt like such a reinvigorating moment for people, a real spot for optimism. Okay, things are going to change. We're out from underneath the thumb of this owner. And so I guess that the fear that I'm trying to talk about here is you can't have the fan base feel like, oh, my God, it's the same old thing for us no matter who's running the ship. That there's, It's just the organization, right, where you start to question. If you have Melnick as the big bad wolf and then you remove Melnick and things start to get better, people can, like, really get behind the team and have that optimism again. And, and all of a sudden the bars are packed, people really interested in the sends. I, I, I would be nervous if I, if, they, if I was the new owner and I knew the history of this franchise if they have another lost season and people don't really know what the hell is going to happen and, and how they're going to get out of it. But you know what the defense on Mike Andlauer is? Mm-hmm. He just came in like end of September. It's not like they gave him the team in April mm-hmm. and he had all this time to sort of put his staff into place and do everything. They dragged their feet on that sale. And so I think that there's definitely like, look, and, and yeah, they had to cover everything up. <laughs> They're like, yeah, don't and, worry, yeah. buy it. Buy and, it. And everything in the last like couple of weeks that's happened has nothing to do with ownership. Mm-hmm. The Pinto thing, yeah. no, that's not on Mike Andlauer. The, the, the stripping of the draft pick order, none of this is on Andlauer. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of it is refreshing because I think a lot of the previous dysfunction, you could tie a, like a, a, a draw a direct line back mm-hmm. to the owner. That's not the problem here. And I think Mike Andler is going to have a lot of runway with this fan base in terms of how he handles things. It's just that, like, he, he's got to be looking at himself like, are you kidding me? Like, like yeah. how could this happen, like, under my watch? And then and, and that's where I think he's really frustrated. Like, the, the Dadnoff thing, it's like, come on. Like, yeah. this had nothing to do with him. And he's getting smacked with a penalty. Like, he, he's got to be thinking, like, what's going on here? Like, are we cursed? Yeah. Man, man I just got a new phone. And it sucks. It's a lemon. It's just, it's a lemon of a phone. It's already got issues. It's brand new. And I'm like, are you kidding? This is, uh, this is brutal. I can't believe that this is happening. Can't imagine if it was a, a, 
hockey team, <laughs> you know, an NHL franchise. For 950 yeah, it's million. Like, I didn't do anything this phone. I didn't drop it in water. I didn't draw. I didn't do anything yeah. to it. It's just, it's a lemon. It's just, it's not, it's not a good phone. And yeah, I got the frustration that he must be feeling right now. And I actually enjoyed the way that he spoke about the league. I went, good, good. Someone should call out this league and someone should have something to say. I like a voice that was willing to deviate. Okay. The voice I'm not sure about deviating though is the the Brady Kachuk stuff because I actually didn't mind it. I, I watched, I, I was actually alerted to it on your Twitter feed. I saw your tweet and I went, oh, okay, I got to watch this. And I went, all right, it's a guy sticking up for his team. He's a little pissed. It's never a good idea to go against the fans, but it pales in comparison to, there was a New York Giants player this year. I can't remember who it was, who said something about, I don't listen to the losers in the stands. What do they do? They like sell hot dogs or something. <laughs> he went full. They're peasants. And it's like Kachuks were far more reserved where he's going there. They have their right, but there's the negativity. But again, you can feel that collective swell of the fan base and the boiling over point with the, the rest of the team. But yeah, what, what is the status of this? Cause he kind of walked the comments back and it really is never a good feeling when the team's franchise player and the fan base are at odds. No, and, and, and I think it, 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 it becomes especially heightened in kind of smaller markets where the fear becomes like, oh, no, like he's going to want out, right? Like that's, that's the fear of small market Canadian teams is that your young stars, particularly if they're American or even if they're Canadian, that, that, that they're going to think that playing inside a, a fishbowl is not for them and they, that he's going to be texting with his brother and his brother's going to be like, you should come down to Florida. There's no worries. You know, that's the fear. That's not the reality, though. And I'll tell you, like, Brady Kachuk has been an absolute dream in this market. Like, you couldn't have, at the depths of this uh, dysfunction four or five years ago, like, if you went and said, I need to create a new face of the franchise, and you wrote down all the attributes, Brady Kachuk would be the guy. Like, you couldn't engineer this guy any better. And he's handled himself with a ton of um, passion, dignity, class, all of these things. Um I think everybody should allow him a one-off in a, in a heat of a moment where, you know, maybe did he, could he, like he even said to us yesterday, it, it's not like he planned this out. It, and I didn't even ask him, you know, the question people might think like, Oh, that's the media doing media thing. Like literally the question I asked him on Saturday night was where did this game get away from you? And 20 seconds into his answer is when he decided to, 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 to do a hard pivot. So mm-hmm. it wasn't planned. It was heat of the moment. And I think, I think most fans understand that. I think they understand that he loves this city. He wants to win here. He's not his brother. He doesn't shy away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's great fodder, isn't it? Like, like it. you get an athlete talking, speaking their mind. And I think in a league in which we don't get enough authenticity everything is so sanitized i think we should at least appreciate like if we just start cracking down on brady kachuk for speaking his mind we're just cracking down on the next athlete from speaking their mind and i don't think we should do that as fans and media we should share sometimes it hurts to hear the unvarnished truth but mm-hmm. but it, it's nice to hear it sometimes the thing for me is uh, maybe this is a little too pie in the sky but i actually want a world where we're allowed to criticize what brady says and that it doesn't cause other athletes to fold up the next time it happens, where they realize that it's insignificant. And they go, all right, I had my say, you had your say. Like, I, I don't ever want to hear the person going, Brady Kachuk just needs to shut up and play, and you can't ever say that about the fans. You're right, that part of it. Right. But I almost feel like we're straw manning there, right? Because I, I don't think too many rationally thinking people really believe that kind of stuff. I want it so that the hockey player says their piece, 
and and we go agree or disagree and then he goes well yeah that's just your opinion and he goes i'm moving on now and it's done it's over that that's it I, I, that's where hockey needs to be with sports because i think it's great to have these kind of conversations i think that fans are interested in the drama man hell if anything we're finding out about professional sports right now is people don't care about 82 games of a regular season right like they don't <laughs> they care if it's Four years in a row where your coach is killing you and your team can't get out of the gates with any kind of a halfway decent start. But the overall game to game, we're losing a little bit of that. We need more authenticity from players. We need more storylines that are off the ice. And so I, I didn't mind any of this stuff. I just, yeah, that's the, the part of it you said is me tapping into just my Canadian sports fan insecurity because I can relate to Sens fans that way is, you know, I cheer for the Blue Jays and the Raptors and there's always that fear of, hey, if you say anything bad about this player, you're contributing to them leaving because they're all looking for a market that is a little less pressure, a little nice, nicer place to live, join a friend, get more money, all of those things. And so, yeah, uh, I was a little curious about him. Okay, so uh, I guess let's end with this. Um, what What is wrong with this team? Because you said they've got injuries, but I feel like every time I check in on the Sens, I'm like, Shabbat's out this amount of time. I'm like, all right, great player, but always hurt. There just seems to be always injuries on the blue line. Is just, hey, Senators always have injuries on the blue line. All right, I, I don't know. What, what, what else is it, though? Why have they not been performing? Because I've got to believe it's more than what Brady Kachuk says, which is it's just they're not getting the bounces. Yeah, and, and it's, it is attention to detail in their own zone. And, and I think like what, what's, what's troubling is the other night, Tampa Bay hung six on them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, prior to that, L.A. kind of dummied them for large stretches. Like, it's defensive zone play. And, and then that becomes magnified when your goaltending is just average. And I, I'm not hanging – I really don't want to hang this on Corpus Allo and Forsberg. Mm-hmm. I think they're – you know, they haven't played up to the – best of their ability, but I certainly don't list them as, you know, problems one and two. Like, I think when you look at Edmonton, you're like, oh boy, there's a team not getting goaltending, right? Like, you can definitively point your finger and say, like, you know, they're out playing, out shooting other teams, and they're just, mm-hmm. they're not getting goaltending. I don't feel that way about Ottawa. I feel like this is an attention to detail issue. The penalty kill hasn't been great, and we'll see tonight. Like, they don't get the line matching that they want, and Matthews has just been going off, as you know, in the last uh, the last little bit, and certainly looked just dynamite on on Monday. Mm-hmm. How can they contain him? Can they contain him? And really, they've just been giving up too many grade A chances. So really, um, defensively, the the coverage hasn't been there. The attention to detail hasn't been there. The slot zone, the kind of slot area uh, coverage has just just been a little bit soft. And 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 that's what I think they would like to improve but it's going to be tough because they got toronto tonight and then the red hot vancouver connects are in here tomorrow yeah but uh, this is why i love tonight i'm really excited for tonight's game i just said that most of the time the regular season just sort of blends in together and you get too hot about a game and then two weeks later you're like damn that was dumb why did i care it's it's november <laughs> i think i think even you wrote one of your pieces november is the most nondescript month of the nhl season i'm like yeah that's true it <laughs> it's, is. it's just 100%. It's i can't like yeah go back and try to remember novembers unless again you're a sense fan then you do then you really remember these yeah. novembers yeah but exactly tonight it's just there's real juice leafs fans are pissed about the state of the team right now they did have a good comeback win against tampa but they were booed off the ice at the end of the first period and matthews was talking about the fans and so it's like there's these two you know, American-born stars that have both made comments about the fan bases. There's two coaches that both the fan bases are extremely pissed at. I think if the Leafs lost tonight, they're, they're, it wouldn't shock me 
if we started to see similar chants in Toronto, if, you know, enough of the real fans get in the building about firing the coach. But there's just, there's stakes tonight. It, it really does. It feels like there's, Ottawa needs to prove or show a little bit of that pushback, that they care, that, they're, they, that they want to beat Toronto, that they're going to have that attention to detail. And the same goes for the Leafs, who are shuffling lines and trying to find more from some of their players. And, yeah, having difficulty defending as well, dealing with some of their injuries. So, yeah, this is a good one tonight. I wouldn't anticipate that it's going to feel quite like, you know, the scrappy old Battle of Ontario's of, you know, the mid-2000s. But I think tonight's going to be a good one. Uh, Ian, thanks as always for making time, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it should be a fun one tonight. And I'm not sure I want to be a radio host in either market. Uh, whoever loses tonight, it's going to be a long night of post-game calls. That's, that's fine. For sure. I'll be all right. I'll, I love it. I love the mud. <laughs> There's just a tipping point. <laughs> See you, man. Love it. Have a great day. You too. Yeah, I love the mud. I don't care. Yeah, bring me the mud. Leafs lose. I don't care. Bring me the mud. <laughs> I want to see them win. I'm trying to how honest I'm going to be with this. I wouldn't. Let's just put it this way. I kind of feel for Sens fans to the point where I wouldn't it like, it almost feels like they need this one more, you know, like they lose this game tonight. They are in the, yeah, that's alarms, big time alarms going. Also poor Mark Mathot. <laughs> he needs this one tonight. Cause he's the one that made that prediction. I think in 2021 of Ottawa will be much better than Toronto in two years. And won't even be close. It's like, we're here. It's two years. You've got to be much better. But this is, this is kind of Ian's point is, and this is one of the most frustrating things as a fan, I think. And Blue Jays fans, you can relate to this, right? And Leaf fans too, because, hey, you've made the playoffs, but you haven't done really anything with it. But this is worse than the Leafs thing, right? Six years, no playoffs. But man, when you are told a team is going to be competitive, and that's why I think more of the Blue yeah. Jays right now, because it was such a slog that last year just to even make the expanded playoffs, just to get into the wild card and then get completely exposed and have their pants pulled down, spanked by the Minnesota Twins, and sent home. Very, I was going to say unceremoniously, very ceremoniously. <laughs> it was ceremonious, my friends, the, the spanking of the Blue Jays. But thinking you have all this potential and that you've got a window and then it collapsing around you is so disheartening as a fan. And feeling like, again, when they go, whatever, we're just going to run it back. Oh, another year of Dorian. Okay, he's fired. But they had to do it. It was a forced situation. He... He made such an aggressively bad mistake that the new owner went, hey, we got to go to dinner and we got to talk about this. And then he's like, I want to hear you out. And Dorian was like, no, there's no excuse. He's like, you got you to gotta resign. Duh. It's a mutual. We got to have this. He's like, you're right. I know. Everyone, this is done. But the sense... It's just, he's, Ian's right. It's so many moves where you as a Leaf fan go, damn, that's nice. Yeah. Not break a chuck on her contract. I never, the Claude Giroux one was never, uh, that, that always seemed like a bit of a, wait, why'd you have to pay him so much if he wanted to come home? He's old. That felt like a much worse version of the Tavares signing. Tavares was at least, you know, 40 goal scorer. First year he came to Toronto. He's still a point of game player. It's better than Giroux. People bitch about that contract. That is the Giroux deal, I was like, okay, yeah. If he's going to come home, take way more of a haircut than this. This is my, was my only sort of point with that one. But, yeah, they make the chicken shade, and it's splashy, and they got to brink it, and thought, ooh, is it just, he's right. None of this stuff has materialized in a much. Shabbat got that deal that we all thought was yeah. ridiculously team-friendly. Um, Sanderson, same thing. 
just so many moves that you go, now is going to be Ottawa's time. Last year, we were supposed to do the, like, this is the big battle of Ontario year. It didn't happen. Now it feels like we're having a big battle of Ontario year, but for the wrong reason. Yeah. The stake is different. It should be both these teams are at the top. I thought the Leafs were going to be at the very top of the Boston came out of the gates the way I thought Toronto, well, I didn't think Toronto maybe would be amazing to start because of all the changes, but I thought Toronto was going to be trying to win the division this year, that this, the Atlantic was going to be theirs, that this was their time, stars hitting their prime, more secondary scoring, more of a regular season team, and so far that hasn't really materialized. But these are, these are not the stakes you want between these two franchises, given where they're at, which is who's, well, the Sens are way more dysfunctional, but who's the team that is going to have the extremely pissed off fan base night? Well, and from the Sens, like you, you're right, and Ian was right, like from the Sens' point of view, like, you only get so many years of hearing this is the year. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is, we're on year yeah. three of no, this is the yeah. year. And of yeah. course fans are going to get mad after being told that over. And like same thing with Jay, the Jays fans, as you said, get that, mm-hmm. you know, you only get so many times of this is the year guys. Just wait, this yeah. one is the year before everyone starts getting furious. Well, especially when you see the same people around. Yeah. And, and I thought totally. that the, D, the DJ Smith thing where you see, and I get it. They had, like he said, he had the, they had the late sale. It was not a great off season right. for coaches. There was already a bunch of movement. They decided to go with the stability approach. But yeah, four straight seasons under DJ Smith, where you have the 27th or worst record going through the first <laughs> 20 games of the season, is pretty unacceptable. Yeah, just starting from behind stuff. Every but year. I, I'm just not a big fan of in season firings. I know it worked out in St. Louis with. Berube. I know there's another, I know Pittsburgh one of the years had the same thing, but for the most part, I'm, I'm just not a big believer of, I'm like, yeah, if your team has to fire the coach in season, the guy you're bringing in there without the full training camp, without the full understanding of the team, sometimes the fresh eyes, the right time, the right button can work. I just think it, it, it kind of shows your team is toast. Yeah. More than the coach is going to turn it around. And all of a sudden it's like, Every team in Canada wants a new coach, except for Vancouver. Except for Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, every team. It's like American Thanksgiving is going to be... It's too bad that there's not some incredible candidate out there that's sitting around going, I'm ready. I'm ready for this opportunity. Because, yeah, between... Because it was Barry Trotz, and it was Rick Tockett. Now there's really nothing. Like, who, Toronto, Ottawa, and Edmonton all trying to bully each other for who's going to get the next coach. Montreal's obviously not doing anything. If anything, they're like exceeding expectations, but yeah, they suck. <laughs> they're exceeding the expectations of being the suckiest yeah. team. <laughs> and they're they slightly just above suck. suck. Yeah. They just suck a normal amount. And that I, I will say this. That's why you shouldn't text me. House fans, friends, multiple of my house friends. I'm not saying this because I don't watch your team enough. Montreal. A lot of my friends watch all your games and the Slavkovsky pick. (laughs) 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 Nerves. Getting nervous. It's getting late early, as they say. Anyway, let's take a quick break. Let's do what we missed. All right, just to tie this full circle, because it's so funny. The going against the fans thing. Again, I don't mind what Kachuk said, but I definitely want fans who disagree or who think he's tone deaf or whatever for them to say their piece and nobody gets their panties in a bunch about it, 
right? Everyone's just fine. But this one, the Evan Neal quote from the Giants earlier this season, that sent Don LaGreca into one of the sweetest states that you can see from a radio or podcast host, which is just like pure unbridled anger spitting on the mic, was uh, Neal said to Daryl Slater of NewJersey.com, quote, why would I... Why would a lion concern himself with the opinion of the sheep? Which, by the way, just quick interjection here is always the lame athlete. LeBron did it. Of course, corny LeBron did it. All the the corniest athletes use that thing. They use the crappy meme, whatever. It's such a stupid, stupid, stupid meme quote, whatever. The heat but, might put it on their court, too. The heat might put it on their court? Yeah, you see their culture court? That, like, paragraph they wrote? No, it's so bad. Oh, it's really bad. Yeah, I don't You're gonna hate okay, it. Okay, tell me about it right now. So anyways, <laughs> this is... Now back into the Neil quote, quote, I genuinely don't care. Why should I? I'm in the National Football League. The person that's commenting on my performance. What does he do? <laughs> Flip hot dogs and hamburgers somewhere? End quote. Amazing. <laughs> that's so bad. Of course, Don LaGreca went after him. Just and then he had to backtrack it. He went, oh, I have family members or something that flip hamburgers. It's fine. But, oh. Kachuk says that, I get being pissed. Kachuk says, we don't like the negativity. You go, hey, you play better. Mm. And then hopefully he ends up doing his part of the bargain. And then you as a fan, root him on when they have success. It's just what? What what do the the kids say, fam? Keep that same energy? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Keep that same same energy, fam. Leafs are good? (laughs) Cheer. Leafs are bad? Boo. Keep that same energy. Have some energy in the building. I'm just a fan of that in general. Anyway, I just think that was so funny. <laughs> what does he do? Flip that hamburger. That was the LeBron, like, oh. you got to wake up in the morning. Or you got to deal with all the things you still got to deal with. Yeah, LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you want to yeah, try? Yeah, we got to do LeBron now. Do you want to try to defend LeBron? Because Okay, yeah. LeBron James is driving Armin. to the basket yeah. 2.3 oh. times more per game this season. Yeah, he looks great. Compared to last season. Yeah. But he's somehow shooting less free throws. So... So how does that work? Shine away from contact. Well, yeah, I was going to no. say sometimes, sometimes yeah. he's fake. He's faking sh- tying his shoelace and then running down the court and getting an uncontested bucket at the rim, dude. If there's one, th- plus here's the thing, Armin. You're talking yeah. about he's driving more in the first, second, third, and first yeah, ten, ten minutes, minutes of the fourth yeah. quarter. So and the refs don't know. People, some of them don't know the game and they don't realize no, that but, that's when things matter too. The L2M report drives me nuts. Yeah, it's stupid. Anyway, yeah. they, the, the league two-minute report should have never been done, and now they can't... Uh, yeah, they can't go back. Yeah, they, they don't know what to do. So the can like, of worms uh, has been opened. Last 48-minute report. Dude, it all, <laughs> it, it all has to do with stupid Donahue that won't go away. Stupid Donahue yeah, 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 that's that right. still does... I don't know why, but shows still put him on. They, they still bring him out. They just did that. That's, and I, I, I watched it. I watched the Netflix. I'm shamed. I you put my idiot. hands over my face because <laughs> I'm ashamed. I'm deeply ashamed <laughs> that I watched the Donahue Untold Stories one. But that was because I thought that it was going to be a little balanced and going, hey, these are the actual untold parts. But now. And? Well, unfortunately, Untold is ruined. It started yeah. off so hot and know. then now it just sucks like everything else because all they've done is give athletes and the people that were involved all of the discretion over what parts yeah. of the story the florida one Creative was the death control. yeah all like, time and urban, here, hey 
Here's the Florida story. Urban Meyer, he was the man. And everybody and, worked really hard. Some guys quickly, hey, a couple guys were arrested, but it was no big deal. And, <laughs> no. But they won, man. They yeah. were winning games, and it was crazy down in the swamp, They baby. practiced really hard. Brutal. Don't um, worry about any of these players that are showing some of these photographs, so we don't need to worry about that. That's fine. Tim Tebow, though, he loved God, and he was good. So that's it. That's the that that's Swamp Kings. It sucks. Yeah, they all suck. It's terrible. They're terrible now. It's unfortunate because, yeah, they start so hot. But I watched Donahue, but they the league – they are the, in the, especially now in the era of gambling and the era of conspiracies online, you want to try to have transparency. I get it. But all it's done is make it worse because now there are people like LeBron who are like, <laughs> the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, and the first 10 mins of the, the first fourth. First 10 mins of the fourth. The first 10 mins of the fourth also matter. Know the game. Hashtag learn the game. <laughs> anyway. Do you guys like how the officiating had, they have like an NBA referees Twitter account and sometimes they go on. No, that. those guys. Oh, are the, those ones, that's, that's the worst. Those the tweets most, are hilarious. Yeah, those, that's the most poorly conceived wasn't ideas. The, what, wasn't there one last year about like the rest losing sleep? Like, yeah, you don't think yeah. that we're, they had a we're losing sleep over some yeah. way. Yeah, maybe Eric <laughs> It was Lewis about LeBron because LeBron keeps making the refs cry. <laughs> burner accounts. We got Celtics fans as referees on their burner accounts. Oh, Just the, yeah, the, the refs cried. They couldn't sleep because LeBron held his hand. Ha! <laughs> like he dipped it in, in lava, <laughs> dropped to his knees. On that parquet screamed floor. Screamed at the sky and said, why? <laughs> why is this happening to only LeBron James? Well, there's this call. This was in the last two mins of the four. It was in the two mins. It was during the time where even the people that don't know the game should have got it right. Poor LeBron in the last two mins. Dude, he just, he just got us... He's got to stop complaining so much about the officials. And you know what? This is the problem that I have with LeBron and with a lot of the guys that bitch so much about the refs. When it's the odd time, Fred Van Vliet had the good one, right? Where it was, hey, this thing got personal and Fred went and he he said his piece. He got fined. Yeah. I don't mind that one. Every once in a while from a guy who's not constantly crying about the officials, it's fine. But I've said this before. I, I hate refs, okay? I hate them. I, it's like if you have a child who goes into officiating. I'm like, don't do that to them. Don't put them in that life. Like there's other ways to make money. I'm sure. Right. I had a paper route. I, then it was tour guide. You don't have to make that ref money, that, that dirty ref money. We need refs, but uh, you know, it's just hard to believe someone who gets into officiating is why, you know, professional official. Yeah. Why, why? Refs, so bad. Way too many of them try to insert themselves into the game, right? Too many hero calls. Too many times where you just, just like that Bengals-Bills game the other night where you're like, just let them play football for yeah, God's yes. sakes. That, you're not the story. Or like every time you watch a college yes, So many of them. This is what I'm saying is like their motivations to be involved in the event and not just be silent partners is infuriating to the, you know, just such an extreme degree. I, I get it. If you're LeBron sometimes, I get the... The frustration of the players. I get the frustration of the fans. But we, as a society of sports fans, talk way too much about officiating now. Oh, yeah. And part of it is gamble, but it's just, I'm so tired. It's I, I ran tired, and part of it was Raptors Twitter. But just, and Leafs. Oh, my God. Bad. Leafs fans, man. Every playoffs. Oh, the officials. We're the skill team. And then they don't call the calls for the skill team. Boo-hoo. Raptors every single time. Oh, there's no call. How do you There's no call. call that? How do you not call that? How do you not call that? 
Just play the games. Honestly, and like more often than not, it evens out, man. You miss a call here, you I get know. a call there. Like it's also the most boring thing well, to talk about because you can't change anything. Yeah, that's the thing. Like let's just stop. Like yeah, some calls are missed, some calls aren't. Like let's just move yeah. on and watch the games. If you get a call like the Jays got in 2015, where it's a foot off the plate and it changes the entire at bat, you're allowed to remember that one and hate that one. If you're me, who was cost the Super Bowl because the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think had the refs on the take in that game. Only time Bill Levy, by the way, apologized for the the game to the Seahawks Steelers. Steelers fans, you shouldn't have that one. That was the Seahawks Super Bowl. Uh, ref apologized. If the ref apologizes after the game, I think I, as a Saints fan, have like, to complain about that. Yeah, Rams. you're allowed. <laughs> hey, you're allowed to complain about that one. Saints fans allowed to complain about that one. Yeah, that was bad. Ro- Roby Coleman, right? Yeah. That's who. Yeah, Ugh. that was a bad one. There's a few where you're allowed. But that's the thing. You should be able to reserve it for a few times and not just have it constantly. Anyways, all right. And uh, when you preserve it, though, the refs will take you more seriously. Like Kyle totally. Lowry, they're not listening to anything he's saying after <laughs> no the first duh. quarter. No duh. Okay, so this, so let's just keep on this really quick. Biggest whiners in sports that you remember? I was thinking about that when I was watching the LeBron thing. Like, who's on the, who's on the all-time list? Well, I mean, Armin just said it. Yeah, Lowry's a good one. Luca's Lowry. gotten really bad. Le- Luca, dude. Luca is actually, he could be the GOAT. It's a problem. Luca. Luca is really I loved Luca when he first came into the NBA. Yeah. I was a big Luca guy. Yeah. And now he's just It's a tough watch, honestly. James Harden with more bitching. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 And the Raptors fans get ready for tonight when he cries <laughs> lots. 8:30. Luca crying. Uh, you know what I'm really Man, sick this of? Is a, the, the Raptors are Raptors have been better. They haven't been as crybaby this year. Yeah, they have Darko. not been as crybaby. Say it's Darko. No, it's sure. Darko bringing in less crybaby culture. I, this is one of the things that I really think Scotty Barnes deserves a ton of credit for. I think Scotty Barnes's body language and the way that he was carrying oh, himself last season was brutal. Better, yeah. And he's just completely different this year. Yeah, like I'll never forget that game. I was at the Grizzlies game where he just walked off the court yeah. on a fake injury and was just pouting. And versus the guy that we're seeing right now who looks totally invested all in, not really complaining about the refs. It's way, it's, it's night and day. It's way better. Way more enjoyable. Yeah. So hopefully the Raptors don't play into Lucas game tonight, but you're right. He's actually, if I was doing, he's, he's like already one of the greatest complainers of our time. He's all time bad. It's yeah. A, it's he knows brutal. too. He keeps saying he's going to get better. Yeah, at and, then it, he, and then once he never the game does. starts. He just forgets <laughs> yeah. it. No. And the thing is, he's young. He's got to be running back on D like LeBron. Mm. Okay. But. Oh, yeah, LeBron, okay, yeah. yes. I, like I, yeah, hate I, like I hate it, I hate it, trust me, as a Lakers okay, fan, yeah. I hate uh, it. But. One thing in sports that I really yeah. hate that's happened, like, more recently is, like, yeah. when quarterbacks slide and get hit yeah, and I immediately know. look for the roughing the passer. I was, was going to say, you know yeah. who's the number one guy of this? Mahomes. Oh, yeah, sure. It is. It's just, it, this, this is the thing. You You start to become the greatest players, and then you want to have different rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have different rules in the rest of your life. And you, you start to, that's where you start to see it. That's where LeBron's at. He's like, he buys his own hype as he should to a degree. He's one of the greatest basketball sure. players ever played, but he's almost like, show me my respect. I'm LeBron. Give me the respect. That's what he, he's asking for. He's like, if you ever doubt it, if you ever even think it could have been a foul, I want you to call it a foul. Yeah. And it's the same with Mahomes. Who's always doing that on Mahomes runs a lot now. Yeah. And especially since his team has nobody he can throw the ball to. Uh, but whenever Mahomes slides, he's always looking for it. And he, and he has like, like kind of pouty face that he puts on to the refs. Yes. He's like, you know, angry that they, and he does the hand movement. Pops up the, immediately yeah. and th- throw on the face. But yeah, flag. I would say in football right now, Mahomes is number one crybaby for calling for the rough in the passer. He's got to be. I'm trying to think about who I watch a lot of. You know who never does it? Gino? Herbert. Oh, Herbert. Yeah. I really respect that about Herbert. 
he's just he here's what I like about Herbert. He just never shows yeah, anything. anything. He's just he's as stoic as it gets for a QB. He's just like he gets hit, he looks the same, he makes a play, he looks the same. He celebrates every once in a while like everybody should, but yeah, he is a he's a stoic dude anyway. Um you wanted to talk killers of the flower moon. Oh yeah, I saw it. So long. Don't <laughs> Am I allowed to say don't go see something in a theater? I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't. I would get that one on. I would get that one on VHS. You Ooh. know. I would get that. No, I just mean like I'd watch it yeah. at home. It's. A, it was a solid movie with some strong performances. I had some tough time with Robert De Niro. He, the accent just he, he shows up and he's mm. just like, well, he's you know what <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn right away. And I went, well, I say, I say, I say, I say, welcome to the. <laughs> To the reservation. You used I went, to like uh, Italian mob boss De Niro. Yeah, it, just, it, was, it was just like a, a cold bucket of water. I was like sitting down. I was just taking a little sip, sip <laughs> Whoa, of my drink. That. and I took a mitt full of popcorn. And all of a sudden, Bob, Bobby D was like, I'll say, I'll say. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> I, was like, so that's, right. that's I settled in. I had to because it was four hours yeah. long. I didn't, I didn't look at my phone. And I, I appreciate cinema, okay? I like a going to a movie. I... Even in discussing it with my friend Brittany, she, she thought, you know, it's good that you had to sit there and just focus on something and that this is part of the cinematic experience is that you do have to really try to immerse yourself. And if you're at home, are you not going to be taking pauses and getting in and out of the movie? And I thought, yeah, that's a good point, but... <sighs> no movie should be more than three hours nowadays. It's just, here's the thing. If you're going to you know, so have a movie that's like that, you got to be Lord of the Rings where it's like... Da, 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 yeah. And then all of a sudden, Mordor over the mountain, yeah, and or fighting. whatever the guy's name is, and Mordor's the bad place. Yeah. What's the guy? Uh, the golem? No, the hero with the sword. Aragorn? The, yes, Aragorn. You got to be him and be like, oh, I'm coming, and then he slashes some dudes down, and yes, I can do that for four hours. Yeah. If I have some breaks in the talking, it's and then fight. there's fights. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But this was just four hours of dialogue. Dialogue and sadness. <laughs> just, it's just you getting sadder and sadder and sadder. I will say, shout out to my guy, Jason Isbell, who hey. I'm a big fan of, was in the movie. I had no idea going in. And when he showed up, I went, oh, no. And I'm a big Sterling Simpson fan who's in it as well. Uh, both guys showed up. Both guys were great. But That's good. But Isbell, I was nervous. I went, oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, oh, no. But we did it. Awesome. Let's go. He crushed it. I like that. He crushed it. Like this that. is a role that he was born to play, literally. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, overall, I got to give it a 6.7. That's pretty good. It's all right. It's just, yeah. I'm not Too dropping long. the, like, $60 bag on that movie. The $60 bag, eh, fam? No. <laughs> two tickets. Two tickets, two popcorns. No, it's two tickets. <laughs> Movies are too oh, long. Oh, wow, Mr. Date over here. Two yeah. tickets, two popcorns. Nice, oh, yeah. Well, what, are you guys going alone? I went with friends. I didn't pay for someone. I'm sorry. I was like, what are you going alone? I didn't really. Two I tickets, two dates. All right. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what a horny guy. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it Killers of Flower Moon is all right. It's too long. I wanted to look at my phone so badly, and I didn't. But I wanted to. Mm. I really Way wanted to. Resist to. the urge. Good I job did. by you. I, oh, I felt it in my pocket a couple times. The problem is, is that I went to the theaters and there weren't enough. So sad. There weren't enough people in theaters. I feel like if it was a packed house, it would have even been a little bit better. I would have enjoyed yeah, it a bit yeah. more. But it was pretty much empty. And it, I feel like if you take out the phone or make any noise, even when it's like it was so empty and it's such a dialogue movie that even when I was chewing my popcorn, I'm like, am I too loud? <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those. You're just expecting yeah. to get shushed. Yeah. Anyway, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Leave five stars. Share it. 
Tell your friends, do all those things. Tomorrow, James Myrtle, see you then.